Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by my co-host, US Bets Senior Analyst, Jeff Edelstein. Jeff, happy Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. Uh, I actually am a Star Wars agnostic, uh, much like Chevy Chase movies. We have another beloved pop culture tentpole of your youth that I'm lukewarm on. Uh, but, but my wife loves Star Wars, and her birthday happens to be today, May 4th, so... Uh, yeah, at least it's easy for me to remember her birthday. Anyway, Jeff, uh, it occurs to me that I don't know your feelings on nerd culture, uh, Star Wars, Marvel movies, etc. Are you into any of that stuff? I mean, to give you an idea, today is, I, I, is not to me. It's not May the Fourth be with you. It, it's actually Cinco de Cuatro, uh, the Arrested <laughs> okay. Development holiday. Right. Um, no, I mean, I, 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 as a kid, obviously, I loved Star Wars, and then I, in 1999, when the first of the sequels came out, right? So, you know, it was yet, oh, you had the three movies, you had Star Wars, Empire, uh, Return of the Jedi, and that was it, you know? Mm-hmm. That's all you had until 99. Right. And I remember I was so excited, I convinced my bosses, the Trentonian, let me go to, to let me go to the midnight showing, and I was going to write about it, and, like, I was I was so excited, and I, I remember sitting in the theater, and, like, when the lights went down, and the, you know, and the, the, the John Williams score, I really, I got, I, I, I got the chills. Like I was like, hmm. "Oh my god, I cannot believe this!" Right. And then two, some two hours later, it ended, <laughs> and I looked around the theater, and like everyone was looking at each other, like it was good, right? No, it was good. It, it was good, right? And I'm like, "Man, that wasn't good." And I don't know. I ever since then, you know, I've tried. I've watched. I've seen all of the movies. I've seen all the movies. Now that I, mm-hmm. now I think about it, okay. some of them are pretty good. Some of them are pretty bad. I think the standalones were better. I think Rogue One was the is, is the best Star Wars movie, like, period. But, like, I'm not, like, I watched a little bit of The Mandalorian. You know, I'm not, like, I've given up. I'll, I'll put, let's, let's leave okay. it there. And right. as for as for Marvel, I, ne- I never really got into it. I've seen a few of the movies, but I'm not, like, you know, I'm not living and dying by it. Okay. Yeah, everyone in my household except me loves Marvel. Um, I like some Marvel. I've seen maybe about a, a third of the movies. Um, some good, some less good. Um, all of them bore the hell out of me once the inevitable special effects fight scene at the end begins. That's when I right. check out. Um, right. But I, I will be seeing a Marvel movie in the theater tomorrow um, oh. because May 5th happens to be opening day for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, edited by none other than Fred Raskin, who, as we all know, according to film expert Chris Rosen, was snubbed by the Academy for his previous work. Uh, so I, I plan to uh, challenge my narcolepsy head on and attempt to stay awake in a dark movie theater. Uh, I don't <laughs> I don't like my chances. Maybe someone should set odds on that. Uh, but I do enjoy the Guardians movies. Um, the other Marvel stuff kind of hit and miss. But Back to Star Wars. I know this is going to piss off the Star Wars nerds, but uh, I like you, I've seen all 11 movies. Several of them are good. I'd say none of them are great. There, there's not one great movie in the bunch. And, and The Mandalorian sucks. I watched the first season. Total waste of time. Sorry, nerds. I mean, I, look, I'm a nerd myself, but just not that particular type of nerd, I guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a nerd. Uh, I'm a dork. I, I, I identify <laughs> okay. as dork. What's, what, what, what separates a nerd from a dork? What distinguishes not entirely, them? Not clear. You know it when you see it, though. Okay, because I, I was thinking maybe you were a dweeb. No, 
Bite your tongue. <laughs> Geek? No, no, I'm a dork. Okay. I'm not, no. I, I I I would never hang out with a geek or a dweeb. I might. I mean, I could I I could hang out with a nerd, but I, no. I I no. Please, I'm a dork, dude. Settle okay. down. Okay. All right. I'm glad we clarified that. Yeah. Seriously. All right. Well, thank you to everyone: nerds, dorks, geeks, dweebs, non-nerds, all of those people alike. Thank you all for joining us for episode number 240 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 239 episodes, they're all available on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all other podcast apps. I recommend you listen to each episode over and over and over and over, like kids going to see Star Wars in the theater in 1977. You know, there really weren't a lot of entertainment options in 77, were there, Jeff? No, 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 no. You had that, and you had, like, the uh, Mattel handheld football game. (laughs) Was it Mattel? Yeah, it was Mattel, I think. Sure. But, by the way, I, I found my parent. I was at my parents' house. I found mine, my the version two. I played it. It was entertaining. It kept me entertained for twenty minutes, <laughs> okay. like a couple weeks ago, like Passover time. Anyway, coming <laughs> up a little bit later, we're going to be joined by the the non dork among us here of the three of us, Gina Fiore, uh, noted gambler. She's, we're going to get her thoughts on just about everything in the gambling space, including how she became a gambler in the first place. But first, uh, listen, Eric, as always, plenty of news to get to. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. We don't typically devote much time on Gamble On to college baseball, but we have to this week because a game last Friday between the University of Alabama and LSU is under investigation for those dreaded three words, suspicious betting activity. Details are scarce. LSU was favored and, after jumping out to an 8-1 to lead, held off a comeback to win 8-6. to Alabama's starting pitcher was a late scratch with back tightness, and his replacement did poorly, but not alarmingly so, giving up four runs in three innings. Still, for reasons we don't yet understand, U.S. integrity flagged the game. Apparently, there were two large bets made in person at the BetMGM Sportsbook at the Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati that were flagged, one on LSU to win and one on a parlay involving the game. The Ohio Casino Control Commission immediately prohibited all betting related to Alabama baseball, followed a few days later by New Jersey doing the same. And FanDuel took down Alabama baseball markets in all states, quote, out of an abundance of caution. So here we have another situation like that UFC fight several months ago, although in that case, it was easier to connect the dots between the betting and the result. Jeff, any idea what to make of this? And how worried should the industry be about this suspicious betting activity trend? I don't think we need to be worried. I think, you know, this is, you know, the the U.S. integrity and such doing their job and flagging this stuff when they see something that raises an eyebrow. So, okay, I'm fine with it. As far as this particular scenario goes, you know, I mean, the the Occam's razor answer here is someone knew about the back tightness and passed that info along that the pitcher was going to either get yanked or was going to suck. Listen, as we're as we well are well aware, there's no like injury reporting at at the NCAA level. So, you know, it's all too easy for, you know, Jim's roommate to know that Jim's back hurts him today and he's going to suck, you know, and, and to pass that info along. I mean, the solution, I think, and I'm surprised that, like, you really don't even hear that much about it, is, like, why isn't there, like, injury reporting for college athletics? I mean, that would probably 
be a smart thing to do if we're going to be allowed to bet on it. Sure. Um, and it's not, you know, I, I am not going to sit here and say that we should ban betting on NCAA sports, on college athletics. I think of all the sports that we can bet on, this, this is the one where it makes most sense for it to be legalized and be on board. You know, a 20 year old who's not making a dime playing a basketball game or a baseball game is a lot more liable to, you know, take a dive than a multi, you know, some ball player making a few million dollars a year. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's still, I still don't quite know though what could have set off the alarm bells. Even if, even if your Occam's razor example is, is accurate as to what happened here. Like unless the person placing this bet in Cincinnati was like overheard by the bookmaker talking on the phone to his buddy about, Oh, he's not going to start. Oh, uh, back tightness. Oh, all right. Let me get up. You know, unless you overheard a conversation with the reasoning behind the bet, I don't know why a couple of bets, unless they were just like insanely yeah, huge, bets. but yeah. if they were insanely huge, I feel like then you're pausing to even take them in the first place. You're running it up the, I don't know. It, I, I, I hope eventually we, we get the full story of why this game was flagged and, and why it rose to the level it did. Cause on the surface, favored team wins baseball game doesn't seem particularly fishy. Um, I mean, the Ohio commission we've quickly learned in these few months they've been operating. They're, they're extremely conservative with all things really. So, so them shutting all the betting down doesn't necessarily tell me that this is a serious situation, but New Jersey following suit, that's what says to me that there's got to be some fire to go with the smoke, but I don't know. It, it would be nice if we had a clue as to what happened. I, I don't know if eventually that'll come out. But, you know, again, we, we've said this about similar incidents, and this was basically how you started your response. This would appear to be the system working. Um, in the unregulated era, you had shady shit happening and, and nobody really knowing about it or, or talking about it. And so, you know, Tim Donahue is connected to betting on games he's refereeing and gets away with it for years before it gets flagged. Now regulators are watching. U.S. Integrity is watching. There's one hinky game and it becomes a story. And, you know, there will be those who spin this headline into legal sports betting is corrupting sports. But, of course, you and I and our listeners understand the truth that that sports betting already posed a threat to sports and that legalizing it diminishes the threat, as we're seeing. We know that because we're dorks, nerds. (laughs) We are. And sadly, I think most of our listeners are also. (laughs) <laughs> all right unite <laughs> yes dorks unite now now it's starting to feel like a marvel movie we're like dork go. superheroes unite <laughs> uh moving on to our second story um we've been talking about it for a while now the time has finally come fanatics mobile sportsbook is here well not here it's somewhere available to someone basically fanatic sportsbook launched on monday for real money in tennessee and ohio but they're doing the slowest of slow rollouts. To download the app, you need a special code. And to get the code, you need to be an existing Fanatics customer in one of those two states. And even then, it's random as to how soon you'll get invited. Some this week, some in the weeks to come. In essence, they've created a stage between beta launch and full launch where they continue to test things out and solicit feedback before truly being available to all. So is this the week when history will say Fanatic Sportsbook launched? Hard to say. Uh, but I know you love what you've seen of the design, Jeff, and presumably they'll keep tweaking the design and the organization of it all. So scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you to start using Fanatic Sportsbooks sometime soonish in New Jersey? And what's your opinion of this very gradual approach to launching? 
Uh, well, as far as my excitement level, I mean, tell me what their bonuses are, and I'll tell you how excited I am. <laughs> okay. It's, you know, I I have like three thousand sports books to choose from here. One more is not going to move the needle for me, I'm sure. But like, you know, maybe they'll have good promotions, and you know that that that's what really sells me, honestly. You know, give me you know give me those freebies and those promos, and you know, you got a loyal customer. Um, and as far as like what they're doing, honestly, they're probably the right choice. You know. It's probably the right choice, at least in the beginning, at least as they like work out the kings in these first few states. I mean, it's smart, it's measured, it's deliberate, and those are three words not usually uh, used to describe uh, operators in this space. <laughs> right. Um, and it, honestly, it makes sense. You know, they they really do they they put together you know kind of an all star cast of executive types uh, who probably probably learned either from their own mistakes or from you know others. And so yeah, this slow, measured, you know, reasonable approach. You know, they don't need to hit the ground sprinting. You know, they the Fanatics brand, obviously, is, you know, they're making money besides the sports book. Right. So, yeah, I know. I, it's probably the exactly the 1,000% right thing to be doing right now. Yeah, and I'm sure that this is not really a motivating factor for them in doing this gradual rollout. But one other benefit of it, it gets them continued publicity and attention within the mm. industry. You know, we figure to be writing something about some new development in the Fanatics launch process every week or two for the next six months by them doing it this way, I would guess. Um, as far as the the app itself, um, I had a conversation with a Fanatics rep recently, and they were pitching me on some of what will make the sportsbook unique. And one thing that stood out to me was a homepage catered to the better that learns your tendencies. And, you know, they're not the first to do this. Like um, DraftKings often has a boxing tab right near the top of the page when I log on, and I assume it doesn't for most people. Um, but, you know, most of the sports books I use learn nothing about me, and I have to hunt each time for my preferred bets. So it, it'll be nice to log on to Fanatics, you know, if it comes to Pennsylvania, which it may not because all the Pennsylvania licenses are currently spoken for. But anyway, it'll be nice to log on and see boxing bets a single click away instead of click the menu tab on the left, then click on other sports, then scroll down to boxing. First world problems, I realize, to have to click three times to get to the bet I want. But, uh, you know, save me two clicks. I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, no, there, there's no question about that. I mean, design, you know, the, it's it's interesting. M many of the analysts, uh, you know, like the street analysts I've spoken with over the years, uh, they keep coming back to, uh, you know, design, basically, you know, an ease of use. And, like, you don't really think of it. Like, because, you know, I, you know, I think in the, you know, in our little corner of the world here, I'm thinking more along the lines of price, right? Right, yep. But truth of the matter is, if I need to order, you know, you know, a case of deodorant or whatever, or, you know, my breathe right strips, whatever the hell. And it's going to cost me, you know, a buck more on Amazon than it does on some, you know, random site. I'm going to happily spend the buck on Amazon because it's click, click, done. Right. You know what I'm saying? And because so, yeah. you, you like enriching Jeff Bezos. Yeah, I, I don't let Bezos, whatever he could. I don't, I don't care. Honestly, he, he, you know why I don't care? He's made my life easy. Yeah, he sure has. Do you, do you wear breathe right strips every night? Are you a, 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 a snorer? If no breathe rights, dude, I'm wearing the breathe right strips. I'm wearing the freaking CPAP machine. I got <laughs> earbuds in my ears. I going back to the beginning of our conversation. I legitimately look like fucking Anakin Skywalker at the end of Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> I'm being put together very slowly in the evenings. <laughs> wow. That, way to tie it back in. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, we finished the news segment with a sports betting odds story where there's no suspicious betting activity, just 
egregious bookmaking activity. DraftKings set a fairly standard total of nine runs as the over-under for last Saturday's Giants-Padres game, and that total only makes sense, only counts as fairly standard, if whoever set the line was unaware the game was being played in Mexico City, where the high altitude and short fences could make me look like Dave Kingman. Oh, Dave Kingman reference. <laughs> yes. Love it. It was him or Rob Deere. I, w- I oh, wasn't sure which way to go. over I- Dave Kingman. Okay, good. I'm glad I picked the right one. Um, uh, so betters hammered the over on that line. It got as high as 14 and a half runs, and that still wasn't nearly high enough as 11 homers were hit and the Padres won 16 to 11. The books presumably got some back the next night, though, when the Padres won 6-4 in the same ballpark. Still, this was a horrendous mistake to make with an opening line for Saturday's game, and they couldn't blame a computer glitch. They just didn't do their homework. Uh, In other DraftKings news, I'll I'll note DK announced it is launching its own streaming site, the DraftKings Network, with podcasts, talk shows, etc., much like what FanDuel is doing with FanDuel TV. Uh, So comment on that if you like, Jeff, but definitely give me your take on this bookmaking blunder with the Mexico City game. Yeah, I'm on on board for more bookmaking blunders. They're fun. You know, at least I'll tell you this much. At least we know DraftKings is at least part of the time set, you know, originating a line now and again, or maybe it's just like AI spitting out lines. Who knows? But uh, all I know is I got in, I, I jumped in at the when I saw it was happening at I got over 12 and a half. Mm-hmm. Then I came back and I got under 15 and a half for half my stake and I lost it as a result, obviously. Right. But I won half my money and then I gave it all back. The following day, when I bet <laughs> the over 20 and a half runs. Wow. Uh, yeah, I figured what the hell. <laughs> so you, so, so, did you end up behind on this whole thing or kind no, of break it even? A, it was, yeah, it was a wash, more or All less. Right. So, but yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, I and it's, I get, there's not a lot of historical data, as it turns out, on over-unders in baseball. Because I, believe me, I looked. Uh, but I got to think this 20 and a half is the highest ever. Yeah, I, I, I've I, certainly really, never I heard a line higher than that, and I no. can't think of any reason why it ever would be. So, I mean, I, I Googled, believe me, I Googled, you know, and like, yeah. if it ain't on Google, it doesn't exist. <laughs> that's so, that is true. You know. yes. yeah. But, but yeah, 20 and a half, I mean, that's, that's fun, you mm. know. And, and, and you still went over. And I bet the over. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, I, I'm actually surprised this kind of thing doesn't happen more often just because there's so many markets out there, so many right. sports, so many games, so many props, and it's not all... AI setting everything. There's some humans involved. I would think there would be a line or two or three every day that's way off. And, you know, maybe there are, and it just gets corrected before we hear about it 99% of the time. But uh, this is a real bad one. I mean, it's one thing for Bill Simmons and Cousin Sal to do guess the lines, and, and Simmons has the wrong team favored, and Sal says, you do know that game is in Dallas, right? And Bill says, oh, I misread it. I thought it was in Green Bay. Can I change my line? That seems to happen every couple weeks. Um, It's one thing for a couple of podcasters to miss a detail. It's another thing for the people whose business is taking money on the games to not know where the game is being played. Somebody uh, got a good tongue lashing from Johnny Avello for that one, I presume. You would expect, yeah. At least my uh, my best ball team benefited from the Mexico City game. I have uh, oh. I have Manny Machado. He sucked all season, but he had like 50 fantasy points in that game. And right. I, I really needed a lucky break. Half my roster is on IR already. So yes, that's right. I'm whining about fantasy baseball injury luck, which is probably a sign that it's time to move on to the interview segment. I, I think that 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 sound you hear is indeed that. Yes. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview.
There are countless ways we could describe this week's guest. She's been a card-counting blackjack pro. She's been a casino dealer. She's been an advantage player. She's been a sports better, including somewhat famously on Super Bowl halftime show outfits. She's a content creator. She's a film and TV gambling consultant. She's known to some as RX Gamble or Miss Brown, but we'll call her by what she refers to as her government name, Gina Fiore. Welcome to Gamble On. Hey, hi. Thanks for asking me to do this. Absolutely. So, Gina, you know, even by gambler standards, your life story is pretty, you know, and this is a little bit of a spoiler alert for another question coming up. It's a little made for Hollywood. Um, <laughs> so why don't you just give me and Eric and the rest of everyone else listening, like the elevator pitch of like how you got to where you are today, you know, your, your gambling life story, as it were. Yeah, sure. Um, I started out as a blackjack dealer when I was 21 and I quickly realized I did not like it. Um, I didn't really have an idea what to do, but I met a guy, another dealer who was quitting his job, who was quitting the job that he worked with me. And uh, he said he was going to count cards for a living. And at that moment, it was like a plot point in my life. I was like, this is a thing you could do for a living. Like I didn't, I didn't know that. And I had heard of card counting. So um, I just, I got obsessed at that moment. I remember like where I was standing. I just I was like, well, if he could do that, I can do that. Like this guy's going to do that. I can do that. And then, uh, and then, yeah. And then I taught myself how to count cards. I don't want to say I taught myself, but I was on a forum called bj21.com that was really popular 20 years ago. But um, yeah, so I, I was on the forum and I taught myself how to count cards and that's where it started. And it just kind of grew from there to uh I mean, you were the subject of a the documentary short on uh, the, the podcast, the, the Ringer podcast. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, David Hill. Yeah, David Hill uh, did an episode for uh, Gamblers or the Ringer podcast. Yeah, on uh, on my story. Yeah, so I think you know for for listeners who who are just meeting Gina for the first time, consider this the appetizer. Then go listen to that podcast too, because that that it it is a wild, wild, wild story. Yeah, David. David did really well. They just they did a really good job in all the episodes, both seasons. They're really good. Yeah. And that that uh, audio podcast sort of documentary style could uh, then be an appetizer for uh, what's coming <laughs> out. Uh, the documentary short about you uh, has made the Tribeca Film Festival. H- yeah. How did that come to be? And, and what can you tell us about the doc? Yeah, um, a woman online reached out to me. Um, I've been asked to do documentaries and a lot of reality TV. And I always say no, because I just it doesn't sound like a good idea. But this woman reached out to me. And I really liked her like immediately. And I just wanted to be friends with her. So she said uh, she wanted to do either a feature or a short. And I said, well, I'll do a short. I don't want to do like a long thing. And she's like, okay, let me try to go get funding. And then two days later, she came back with funding from Meadowlark Media. Hmm. And I was like, cool. Okay, let's do this. So, um, you know, I tell my same old stories about gambling (laughs) for a living, but she did a really great job producing it. Um, It's she did such a good job. And there's like... uh, actors and actresses doing reenactments but it's really um it's really fun and so they submitted it as a standalone episode um to Tribeca yeah and it got in and I didn't realize it was such a big deal until I read that Tribeca gets like 8000 submissions and they take like 80 or something wow. like that so I realized wow this is kind of a big deal how long is it what's the length of a short uh, it's just case? 25 minutes it's actually it's part of um I don't think I'm supposed to say this. It's part of a longer series that Meadowlark is producing, and it's just a standalone episode. It's like 25 minutes. Okay. Um, now, I have to know, what 
what are some of the reality shows you've been asked to appear on? Could you could you give us some of the the highlights, yeah. the, the ones we'd be familiar with? That, well, no, they never took off. There was one yeah. um, like Real Housewives of Las Vegas, but it was more like gamblers. And then there was an offer to do uh, just to follow me around, uh, you know, every day in my life kind of thing. And then there's been other documentaries that I just didn't really want to be a part of. Um, Eric, and- I, I know. Listen, Eric, I know you're a big Survivor guy. I know you're hoping. Oh, yeah. that's, that's, that's what I was waiting to hear <laughs> that she was going to say they asked her to go on Survivor. No, 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 no. not yet. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I could do that. But no, nothing like that. Uh, and then one one different sort of uh, question about the entertainment industry, since you've d- done film consulting. I'm curious, in all the gambling scenes that you've seen in movies, what's the most egregiously unrealistic thing you've ever seen? The one that made you scream the loudest about their apparent need for a gambling consultant? Is there something that stands out? That's a great question. Um, man, I I watched I watched a movie called um, The Seduction of Gina just because I like the title. <laughs> okay. Had, uh, Valerie Bertinelli in it. Wow. This may, this may not be the perfect answer, but the whole movie is that Valerie Bertinelli like lives in San Francisco and she bets on like horse racing and she wins like a really long shot the first time. So it gets her hooked. And then she's like shopping, um, you know, buying groceries and the guy at the counter offers to be your bookie just out of nowhere. <laughs> just so like out of like, this doesn't happen. Um, it probably doesn't answer your question, but the whole movie is just crazy like that, where these things don't happen. And then she goes to Lake Tahoe and, you know, develops a gambling problem. But that whole movie is just like a trip. That's- oh, all right. No, that's a good answer. And in, in that you managed to come up with a movie off the beaten path. It wasn't, oh, Casino Royale or 21. Yeah, or one everybody of those obvious knows ones, those, right? right? Yeah, <laughs> uh, 21. Some of the stuff is just so obvious. Like, I think the woman signals behind her back, like, and they have to make it obvious, but you would never, you would never do that. Right. Yeah. If you need a bookie, I think Eric can handle some bets for you, Gina. So just keep that <laughs> yes. keep that in your back pocket if you ever need to. Go to my to. grocery store and try to get. <laughs> um, let's talk specifically about gambling. Uh, you've obviously been at this for a long time, from you know the card tables to you know betting baseball. Now, um, you know, for people who are looking to get into this as a quote unquote career, which uh, you know probably isn't the best advice, or even just as like a fun hobby, like what what mistakes should they like immediately like be trying to avoid? What should they be looking out for? What have you seen, you know, be the, the ruin of somebody who's trying to do this for serious fun or for yeah. you know serious money? I think right now with sports betting, it's like poker was in 2004, 2005, where you saw Chris Moneymaker win. And so you thought, well, I could do that too, right? Because this like accountant buys in for less than a hundred dollars, you know, gets into the world series of poker and he wins. And so I feel like sports books are taking that approach and they're showing these big, like parlays, you know, 15 leg parlays that are paying out. There was one, I just saw, what did they bet? Uh, $20. They won $569,000 on DraftKings. And so they advertise these things to like give you false hope that these are things that you can hit. So just in general, if you can, I just wrote an article about this for unabated, unabated.com, not going for those long shots, like sticking to single bets, like a bet that relies on one outcome to happen. Um, the odds are often better, but more than that, your variance will be less. So if you're doing this for a hobby, it won't hurt so much. Like if you're, if you're doing these parlays, you're never going to hit them. You're never going to hit them in your hobby. You know, NFL Sunday is not fun. It's just not a good time. So I would stay away from those and just make single bets. And then the the big one that I think everybody knows is just to line shop. 
Like if you have 12 books available to you, it takes five minutes to go online and find an odd screen or to open up the apps, you know, and check the prices. And if you're already not playing with an edge because you're just a recreational better, taking minus 125 over minus 110 is a huge difference, like huge. And the, the spreads are that much. Like if you look at DraftKings to MGM to, you know, win bet, you'll find minus 110, minus 125 on the same game. Yeah. It's a play line shop. Okay. Well, you, you mentioned uh, the early days of the poker boom there. I'm I'm a poker guy, uh, and I came across your episode of Poker Night in America where you played at a televised cash table years ago with yeah. Antonio Esfandiari, Jennifer Tilly, Richard Roper, the late Gavin Smith, among others. Mm-hmm. Do you have a, like a favorite story from that experience or, or any other notable clash you've ever had with a big-name poker pro? I remember I, that was a turning stone, and I'm not really sure why why I even played. I think they wanted women and my friend David Williams had just been on it. So he like suggested me. So I went to Turning Stone and it was cold. I was cold the entire time. And they wanted me to talk like they want to make the table lively. And there was this guy in seat one and he wouldn't stop talking. Like he just wouldn't. And he was loud and the entire time. And I made a few efforts and I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm not even, it's not natural for me to talk anyway. And then it ended up, and so we're on break. I don't know if this isn't a poker story, but I'm telling you this story anyway. So we're on break and we're all chatting, like, what do you do? What do you do? And he told me he, uh, he ran a debt collection company and he was telling me about it. And he said he collected debts from people whose debts had expired. Like they weren't debts anymore. They didn't owe anymore. And I said, well, how, how do you collect if they don't owe? And he said, well, they don't know that. And he was so open about it. (laughs) I was like, all right. And then like a year later, he was arrested for the biggest debt collection scam, like in U.S. history. Wow. And I was like, why are we like, it was horrible. You were so open about it. And I thought that's not a poker story. But yeah, he was in seat one and he would not stop talking. So I just I gave up. I don't even know why I wanted to play like the table was not it wasn't an easy game. Right. Um. Yeah, that it, I was cold. I, I won, but I just remember being cold and not being able to talk. That was that was that experience. I've never played with the the whole card cams and the TV cameras going and all that. Did did it affect your ability to play smart and play well at all? Just knowing that people were going to see what you were doing or, or you were just able to play your standard game? No, I didn't really think about it. The only thing was making sure that you got the cards like on the camera, but there was no, I'm not going to make this dumb move because, you know, somebody's going to see this later. But speaking of that, I there's so many streams now, like they're so much more popular. I don't think I'd ever play on one again because of all the recent, like, um, what are, what am I trying to say? Like pitfalls, like the ability for people to basically cheat. Like, I don't think I would ever go on a stream again. I just, I hear too many horror stories. In, In combination with the fact that, uh, you have to deal with the social media over analysis of, of whatever yeah. you end up doing. Uh, if you happen to make a bad play, you get accused of cheating or an unusual yeah. play, well, I should say. Oh, the Jack four. Yeah. That right. was, <laughs> that fallout was, was insane, but yeah, social media, that's a good point. It's so much bigger now than it was in 2014. I mean, 15, whenever I played that show and uh, there was a thread on two plus two about a hand I played in poker night in America Mm-hmm. And it was like an argument over whether I played it well or not. And I felt it didn't feel good. <laughs> somebody <laughs> saying I didn't play well. I was like, man. And then somebody came out defending me. And then it was just didn't feel good. 
to be judged like that. Well, the maybe maybe being the subject of a documentary is not the best thing then if you don't want to be judged at all. But uh, pr- presumably yeah. there's a little more control over it. Yeah, that part of the agreement was that I got to be a story consultant. So I got to be there when they were filming and I got to, you know, say I'm not comfortable with this. So let's not do that. Right. All right. Well, we're looking forward to seeing that. And we should probably wrap up the interview here before you end up uh, giving away everything that's in the documentary. But we, we covered a good a good range of topics here. A little poker, a little blackjack, a little sports yeah. betting, a little Hollywood. So uh, thanks so much for uh, coming on the podcast, Gina. Yeah, thanks for asking me. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. Let's update our betting bankroll, and there's a whole lot to update. So um, listen to this on 2.5x if you uh, don't care about the details here. Uh, Jeff, you have no choice, unfortunately. You have to listen to me in real time at real speed. Uh, Anyway, let's start with the NFL draft bets. You had three on where Bijan Robinson would land, and one of them was the correct team, the Falcons at plus 1,200. You risked $150 total on those three bets. They produced a profit of $500. You also had Robinson in a parlay, him to the Eagles, Hooker to the Vikings that didn't hit, uh, lost $50 there. You had two bets on C.J. Stroud to go number one. We knew those were drawing dead. They lost a combined $300, but you won 175 with Devin Witherspoon as the first cornerback drafted. And you won another hundred with under four and a half quarterbacks taken in the first round. So all in all, your draft bets produced $425 profit on $725 invested. Not a bad ROI. Uh, Other bets, your Jokic MVP bet lost because Joel Embiid is the greatest human alive and was recognized as such. That costs us $200. My parlay of the Kings, Sixers, and Celtics to win their first round series fell one Kings win short and loses $100. Speaking of falling just short, I had a brilliant, if I do say so myself, SGP on Celtics-Hawks Game 6. I had Celtics to cover the 6.5 points, Trey Young 25 or more points on 3 or more 3-pointers. Those all hit, and I had Tatum over 30.5 points. He finished with 30. Uh, the, whole, the whole like last two minutes of the game, the Hawks were fouling. Boston just needed to put it in Tatum's hands to get fouled one time, and it didn't happen. So by a half point, that uh, plus 707 parlay missed, and we lost $70. You did better with your two-leg parlay of Angels and Twins to both win last Thursday. We profited $100 there. And lastly, XFL. I retire from XFL betting undefeated as the Defenders Sea Dragons overhit but your Sea Dragons title bet lost, so those bets cancel each other out. For the week, we won $155, so we're now down by 2053 We also have 940 on Holden Futures bets, and that leaves us with a palindromic $7,007 available to bet with this week. And you're up first, Jeff. All right. First of what will be, I'm sure, many NFL future bets for me. Okay. Let's go at plus 300, 100 bucks on Bijan to win Rookie of the Year. So I, I'm betting that none of the quarterbacks rise up and have like, you know, all star years because quarterbacks rarely do their first year out. And none of these quarterbacks seem to be ready for the prime time yet. Bijan on Atlanta. I mean, you know, who the coach is Arthur Smith. He kind of created Derrick Henry. He's right. going to do the same with Bijan. Bijan getting fed early, often and always for the Falcons. If he stays healthy, he wins rookie of the year. Yep, I, I would agree that that. That if is pretty much the whole if there. I can't yeah. imagine 
it's not too likely that one of these quarterbacks is going to excel right out of the gate to the point that they actually beat him out for it. So yeah, if he stays healthy, I think that's a good bet. Um, the only one, the only one yeah. I'm worried about is Richardson, honestly, who probably won't even be starting. But if Richardson ends up starting, like you know, if you know if he runs for a thousand yards and twelve touchdowns, you know, then we got trouble. But yeah, yeah I, I'm, but I'm not betting on it. He and he's also the most you know project like the the right. least likely to really exactly, exactly. show much good stuff his first uh, first year out of the gate. So yeah. Uh, all right. Um, my first bet or bets really uh, boxing's biggest star Canelo Alvarez fights this Saturday in his native Guadalajara. It's a safe homecoming fight against John Ryder of London, who's fine, but has no chance of beating Canelo. There's no reasonable way to bet on this fight straight up. Canelo is as high as a minus 2000 favorite, but I do like some props. Uh, I have three bets here. First, I'd be very surprised if Canelo doesn't win by knockout. Um, I doubt it comes too quickly, but I also doubt it takes too long. So the middle rounds, we can get the band of rounds five through eight at plus 180 at BetMGM. I think there's maybe a tiny bit of value there. So let's bet $100 to win 180 on Canelo by KO, TKO, or DQ in rounds five through eight. Uh, next, FanDuel has some more unusual props for this fight, and one of them is for a knockdown to be scored by either fighter anytime in rounds one through six at plus 220. It's a surprisingly high number. I, I think it's around 50-50. I mean, Canelo can punch, Ryder doesn't have great defense, and if Ryder happens to score a flash knockdown, that counts for us too. So uh, anyway, good price in my eyes. Let's go $50 to win 110 And lastly, weird prop, Ryder to get knocked down in the first minute of any round, is plus 280 at FanDuel. It'll be an unusual sweat rooting for a knockdown in the first minute of each round for however long the fight lasts. Uh, to quote you, Jeff, why not? So yeah, why not? Uh, $50 to win 140 on that prop. Hey, a, lot of, a lot of fancy bets for you there. I have, the, I, have I think, my straightest bet yet. Okay. Uh, it's, the X, it's XFL Championship Weekend, as everyone well knows. <laughs> yes. Uh, the D.C. Defenders are only giving six points to the Arlington Renegades, uh, they, which I don't understand. They're, they're, they're below sub-500 team. Yeah. The Defenders knocked off everyone, including my beloved Sea Dragons. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, six points. I don't know. I, 110. It's minus 110. You know, okay. six points. So 100 bucks at 110. Yeah, 110 dollars. Right. You don't have to win 100. Defenders minus six. All right. Defenders yeah. minus six. All right. Fun. Okay. Um, I don't believe I've made an NHL bet all season because uh, I don't really follow hockey anymore until the playoffs start. And unless the Flyers are in said playoffs, which they very much were not this season. Uh, but this one goes out to our colleague, Mike Seeley. Uh, I'm betting on his Seattle Kraken to win the Western Conference. And yes, mostly this is just about me enjoying saying Kraken. Uh, of, all, of all the team names in all sports that don't end in S, something I'm generally opposed to, this is easily the best, right? Kraken. It's fun. It is fun to say. I'm gonna can I can I try? Sure. Seattle Kraken. Oh, it's yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. It's good. It rolls right off the tongue. And you get it, sure it, it comes from the throat and the tongue, really. Yeah, Kraken. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. No, you're right. Um, anyway, here's my thinking. The Kraken are currently up 1-0 in their second round series. They play again tonight. You don't have to know anything about any team to know that in the NHL playoffs, there are no underdogs, really. Uh, depth of talent is irrelevant. It's just who has the hotter goalie and or how does the puck randomly bounce on a given night. Uh, the Kraken just beat the defending champs. Now they're up 1-0 in the second round. I'm seeing them as high as plus 475 to win the West when 
if we view each series as the coin flip it is, they should be plus 300, and that's even if they weren't already up 1-0 in this series. So I couldn't name a Kraken. I couldn't name a player on any team remaining, probably. So what? Knowledge is a detriment in NHL playoff betting. Kraken to win the Western Conference at plus 475, uh, $80 to win 380. I'm unsure that I can name one NHL player. <laughs> really? Yeah. Active. Is Yamir Yager still active? Is he, still uh, he, he is not. I, I oh, could, yeah. I'm pretty sure I couldn't make it to double digits, but I can at least name one. Because uh, there's a famous one who uh, signed like a sports book. Right, 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 right. Don't tell me. Uh, I know I could picture it. Uh, I'll, spot, uh, I'll spot you his last name starting with a Mick. McDonald. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Mick Andrews. <laughs> nope. Mick Simpson. <laughs> no, but keep going. Uh, this this is fun. You you may get there eventually. Oh shit. Oh boy. Uh, McDavid. Connor McDavid. There you go. All right. Yeah. You've named an NHL player. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so no, I will not be making any NHL bets. Uh, and in case you were worried that I haven't bet a parlay yet, don't worry. There is a parlay. <laughs> Good. It's a not only is it a parlay, it's a USFL parlay. Mm. Not only is it a USFL parlay, it's a three-team money line parlay featuring two underdogs. Mm. Okay. So give me the Panthers, Michigan Panthers over the Memphis Showboats. That's minus two fifty. But then give me the New Jersey Generals at plus one forty over the Breakers from New Orleans. Okay. And then this is this is this is where the the heart's gonna break. Uh, give me the Pittsburgh Maulers over defending champion Birmingham Stallions at plus 270. All told, it's 1143. Let's go 50 bucks. You know, you do the math. Uh, <laughs> I guarantee you that the Panthers will win. The Generals will win. The Maulers will lose by a field goal. Guaranteed. <laughs> and we sh- and I should have taken the – I should have not been greedy. I should have taken the Maulers in like the seven and a half points. Right. But I'm taking the Maulers straight up because I'm greedy. <laughs> All right. You're Listen. One of these days, your greed is going to pay off. What well, has? It's my it, that's parlay. true. You, that's true. There, you're, you're you've witnessed my parlays paying off. Right. I don't remember whether greed was specifically involved in any of the legs of your winning parlays, but no. Uh, but this is pure greed. This okay. is pure greed. <laughs> All right. Um, for the final bet this week, let's try something different. Uh, the Kentucky Derby is Saturday. Uh, we usually have a, a horse racing guest on this week on the pod, but. Eh. Gina Fiore was more interesting than anyone talking about yeah. horse racing. Uh, but we should at least place a derby bet. Now, I don't fully understand how exactas and trifectas and all that stuff work. Uh, I know it's usually paramutual odds, not fixed odds. But for our purposes, let's assume fixed odds and, and pick a winner and take a shot for 50 bucks. I have the morning line odds up. Uh, Jeff, I'm going to read the names of the horses. You stop me each time you hear a name you like, and then we'll narrow it down from there. Very scientific. Okay. You ready? Okay. Yep, yep, yep. Hit show, verifying, two fills, confidence. Two fills. I like, okay. I like two fills. All right. All right. We got two fills. Uh, confidence game, tap it trice, King's Barnes, reincarnate. I like tap it trice. I would, Ta- I would, okay. I would, we're back to, yeah. t- okay. Two fills and yeah. tap it trice. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Mage, Skinner, practical move, disarm. Jace's Road, Sun Thunder, Angel of Empire, Forte, Raise Kane, Derma Sotogake, I believe that's pronounced. Yes. <laughs> okay. Rocket Can, Lord Miles, and lastly, Continuar. So uh, right. 
If none of those other ones are jumping out at you, we've narrowed it down to two fills, Tapit Trice and Derma Sotogake. And interestingly, you uh, isolated three that are among the favorites, but not the favorites. So, we, so here's oh. what we got. Two fills at 12 to 1. I'll note that it's it's spelled with improper grammar. It's P-H-I-L apostrophe S. Like, I guess the horse belongs to two people named Phil, so he's two fills horse, but then it should be the apostrophe should be after the S. So I have some editorial problems with that name, but you know, the, that shouldn't necessarily influence our decision. You've just, by the way, you never like said what you are. You're a nerd because there's no such thing as a grammar dweeb or a grammar dork. There's that's, grammar nerds. That's a good so point. You are a nerd. I am officially okay. a nerd. Okay. So two yeah. fills is 12 to one. Tappet Trice is, I believe the second favorite at five to one. And Derma Sotogake, the Japanese horse, uh, that could become, I believe, the first Japanese horse to win uh, from reading the preview that uh, Mike Seely and Matt Rybaltaski wrote. He, uh, that horse is 10 to 1. So uh, how uh, how frisky are you feeling? Do we go with 12 to 1, two fills, 5 to 1, tap it trice, or 10 to 1, Derma Sotogake? Yeah, I'm going I, I, I'm going with two fills. And obviously okay. now we have to, you know, we've got to run a trifecta box on this. <laughs> I still don't know what that means or how that works. I mean, I know Just, that those Neither do works. I. But neither do I, but just put $10 on Trifecta Box, and if it hits, we'll worry about it later. Okay, I'll I'll ask, uh, I'll, I'll check in with, with Matt or Mike, who understands like, you know, horse like, rating. We're, we're saying these three horses in some order. Right, right, but what it, what it would pay, I have no idea, but I'm sure they can calculate that for us. So, okay, yeah, put ten, throw $10 at it, so it's like a, you know, but not $10 on each thing, but just right, $10 right, total. Right. Ten dollars on the Trifecta, plus 50 bucks on two fills at 12 to 1. All right, yeah. I like it. We got. We have a reason to watch the Kentucky Derby. By the way, this obviously hits. Neither one of us bet this, and like it's horrible, right? <laughs> yeah, but we think of all the fake money we'll win. That's true. That's true. <laughs> all right, that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening, and thanks again to this week's guest, Gina Fiore. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and Jeff at Jeff Edelstein, and follow US Bets at US underscore Bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling, and subscribe to this podcast on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, Jeff, please take us out. You know, one thing we haven't talked about this yet is the white paper from uh, the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everyone in the industry you know, was keeping a close eye, ready for this thing to drop and see what they have to say about the gambling industry, which obviously is a lot more mature, the online gambling industry in the UK than it is here. Um, I think, you know, ba- you know, if we took a straw poll, I bet everyone would have thought that, that they were going to come down hardest on the advertising aspect of it all. But they didn't. Uh, they said that the onus on advertising really falls at the feet of the operators to be responsible with what they do uh, and not like at the hands of the politicians. And that's the way it should be there. And that's certainly the way it should be here. Listen, as long as these sports books aren't outright lying in their advertisements and with that, you know, rest in peace, risk free verbiage, right. then, you know, the government should back the fork off. Right. Leave us alone. Listen, are the ads annoying? Of course. Are there too many of them? Yeah. Uh, are they doing any harm? A little bit, but probably a ton less than booze ads or, you know, soft drink ads or junk food ads or fast food ads or sugary cereal ads <laughs> or many pharmaceutical ads and some political ads. Plus, and those cushiony soft toilet paper ads, which if you live in an old house, are going to clog up your pipes and cost you a fortune. They don't tell you that. No, they don't tell you that, those, uh, those commercials, you know, with the clouds and the teddy bears and all that. They don't tell you that's going to cost you $600 to get a freaking roto-rooter out to your 100-year-old house. Um, but anyway, I digress. The bottom line, politicians should let the sportsbook industry figure out their advertising 
as long as they're being upfront about it, as long as they're not lying, you know, without the heavy hand of politicians trying to wrest legitimate First Amendment rights away from the hands of the sportsbook operators. My fellow Americans, I implore you, gamble on responsibly.